Uh, have you ever made a list of all the places where you've lived? All the cities, I mean. Not exactly houses and that sort of thing, but a list of all the cities. I sat down and made a list of all the places where I've lived in my life, and there were 12 cities. And I got to thinking that might be something we could add to the name tag uh, that we could put on the back. We could put on the front your name and where you live now, and on the back, we could have all the different places where we've lived. No, I'm kidding. But anyway, I just thought that would be an interesting thing to try to do. Well, have you ever had uh, a burden for a city? That's what we're going to look at this morning is a burden for the city where God has placed us. You know, uh, in the Bible, someone counted 119 different cities. So think about all the cities that are mentioned in Scripture. Whenever Jesus revealed his plan, his strategy for outreach and so forth, he said in Matthew 9 these words, Matthew 9:35, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. But did you catch that, that he went into all the cities, all the villages, teaching and healing. And then whenever he realized, look at all of these people, it says that he was he was, he was weeping, he was burdened for all the people. He had compassion on them. But then it's interesting what happened next. He said, you need to be praying that God will call forth more laborers to go into the harvest fields. Do you know that Columbus and Colorado County, it's a harvest field. It's the Lord's field. There are things that he wants to do here. And I believe that he still has that same strategy. You know, Luke chapter 4, verses 42 and 43. Uh, one time the people tried to keep Jesus from leaving them, but he stayed focused on that simple strategy. He said, I must preach the good news to the other cities, for I've been sent for this purpose. You know, Jesus had a burden for the cities. Do you have a burden for our city? Do you have a burden for wherever your city is, where you live, where God has placed you? Matthew and Luke give us three glimpses of Jesus' heart for a certain city. There was a certain city that was on his heart. It was the city of Jerusalem. You know, actually, it wasn't just in the, the earthly days of Jesus, also the Old Testament, the New Testament. All through there, Jerusalem is mentioned over and over again. Someone has said, if you think about from the first time that David captured Jerusalem, until Jerusalem was destroyed uh, in AD 70, the Bible records 100, uh, 1,100 years of grace toward that one city. Jeremiah, for example, in Jeremiah 9, verses 1 through 11, he wept over that same city of Jerusalem. Luke uses a specific word later. We're going to see those three glimpses one of them is found in Matthew 23. That's going to be our text this morning, Matthew 23, 37 to 39. I'll read it in a moment, 
But I want you to hear kind of a stereo version because Luke, verse, uh, chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, Luke records almost verbatim, same exact words. But then in Luke 18, verses 41 to 44, that's the third glimpse. We're going to see a little different glimpse of Jesus and his burden for Jerusalem. And Luke is going to say that Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Have you ever shed tears over the people of Colorado County? Has it ever really been that intense on your heart that you would say, Lord, I just, I pray for them. I, I pray for my grandchildren. I, I pray, Lord, for my neighbors. I pray, Lord, for those that I work with. I pray, Lord, for those that I go to school with. You know, in John eleven thirty five, it says that Jesus wept. You don't have to raise your hands, but for some people, that's the number one memory verse they've got. Jesus wept. It's found in John eleven thirty five. You know, that's a really good memory verse if anybody ever challenges you to memorize scripture. But what we don't realize is the word there, Jesus wept, that word is a certain Greek word that meant to simply shed tears. You ever cried about something? Jesus cried that he was going to have to bring Lazarus back from the dead. So dakruo was the Greek word, but it just simply meant to shed tears. But whenever I get down to Luke 18, verses 41 to 44, and we read the third glimpse of Jesus uh, toward the city of Jerusalem, you're going to hear it say that Jesus wept. It wasn't the same Greek word, dakruo. It was klio. Klio meant not just to shed tears, it meant to wail. In your lifetime, have you ever seen someone that was hurting so deeply that they wailed? You could hear it, what was in their heart. That is the word that Luke, the medical doctor, the historian, that's exactly the word that he was led by the Holy Spirit to write. I hope you found Matthew 23, verses 37 to 39. Look, would you stand in honor of this? I have the verses on the screen I'm about to read, but it's so much more meaningful if you find it in your copy of God's Word. So I hope that you'll open up a copy of the Bible and follow along. We'll be back to Matthew 23, 37 through 39 in just a moment. We'll read this one first and then two passages from Luke. Jesus said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets, and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Luke 13, 34 and 35 almost says the exact same thing. Luke 13, 34 and 35. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. One last passage. It's a little different than the other two, but Luke records it in Luke 18, verse 41 through 44. 
Luke 18, verse 41 through 44. And when he, this is Jesus, when Jesus drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Remember that word weep means to wail, saying, would that you, even you had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, give us a burden for Columbus. Give us a burden for Colorado County, for the people that are all around us each and every day. Sometimes, Lord, we get so consumed with our own responsibilities, with our own pressures, with our own hurts, and we forget that all around us, you have given people in our lives who need you. They need salvation. They need good news. They need the hope of the gospel. And so, Lord, we pray today that you might open our eyes to our city and to our community. Because when we look at Jerusalem, we might see something that's similar to the people who are in Jerusalem. And so speak to us. Open our eyes, Holy Spirit. Use the word of God to go deep into our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The Apostle Paul reminded some leaders from Ephesus in Acts 20, verses 18 to 19. He said, you remember, you know how I served among you, he said. I served the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials. So I'm asking you today to ask the Lord this one question. Do you have tears for Columbus, for Colorado County? Let's look at it together and let's see how does one even have a burden, a spiritual burden, compassion for a lost city? First, I think the burden begins with lamentation over the city. It begins with lamentation over the city. Did you notice how Jesus in Matthew 23, verse 37, he begins by calling out Jerusalem's name twice, not just once. He doesn't say, oh, Jerusalem, the city that, he, that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. No, he adds it in there a second time. The question is, why? Why would he say, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it? As I read this week, trying to find out what's the meaning of this, I found out over and over, most scholars said, well, whenever someone repeats something like that, it was a strong sense of sorrow. They were trying to intensify the emotion that they feel deep within. Why was Jesus grieving over Jerusalem? I submit to you it was because they had lost opportunities for repentance. God gave them so much grace, so many opportunities to repent and to turn. But now those were behind. Why? Well, isn't it ironic? The name Jerusalem means city of peace. Look at the verse again. 
The city of peace. What was happening in the city of peace? Here's what Jesus says. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you city of peace, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. You see, it had become a place of violence rather than a place of peace. As a matter of fact, the word kills, the verb kills, and the verb stones, do you know that those are in the present active participle? It meant this is not something, Jerusalem, you did do in the past. This is something, Jerusalem, you've been doing it all along, and you're still doing it today. You know, if you think about it, Stephen had not yet been stoned. He was stoned in Jerusalem. Think about it. James had not yet been beheaded. He was killed in Jerusalem. Jesus saw right through it. He always knows the truth. I wonder what the truth is about Columbus and Colorado County and every city across America. Do you know that in 2017, the Barna organization did a survey? It lasted 10 years. They interviewed 76,505 adults. 76,505 adults were interviewed over a 10-year period of time. And they were trying to find out the answer to one question. How Bible-minded is this city? How Bible-minded is that city? And so they began to compile all of those interviews over a 10-year period of time. And they made a list of the 10 most Bible-minded cities and the 10 least Bible-minded cities. If you're looking for an additional place to pray for, I would submit to you the top five least Bible-minded cities that were on their list. Albany, New York, only 10%. See, people were asked, do you read the Bible at least once a week? And they were asked, when you read the Bible, do you believe what you're reading? In Albany, New York, only 10% said, ah, every now and then I read it, I guess, but I don't believe it. So only 10% said, yes, I believe it, and yes, I read the Bible once a week. Boston, Massachusetts came in second, only 11%. Providence, Rhode Island, 12%. Cedar Rapids, Iowa, 14%. What is my point? That they're bad cities? No, my point is, wouldn't that be great to pray for the lostness of these cities? Because they're not in the word of God. They don't even believe the word of God. But what would happen if we said, let's pray for them. Let's pray that the light would dawn there. The list, of course, goes on to include Buffalo, New York, and Las Vegas, Nevada, San Francisco, California, and New York City, New York. But you know that all across America, you know what the average is? 25%. 25%, which tells me perhaps in Colorado County, maybe it's 25% or less. We don't know. Maybe it's more. But how many people are in the word of God to know that God loves them, to know that there's a plan of redemption that was for them? That's something, if they're resisting that and saying no, that's something that we are to say, I'm going to take that to God in prayer. I'm going to pray about it. Does it even bother you that that would be the case? Lamentation over the city is where it begins, but I think that a burden for a city is magnified and amplified whenever you realize, yeah, that's where they are, but look at where God is. 
Does God say, you know what? I am tired of these cities. I hate these cities. No. Does God really love the people of Columbus? Yes, he does. How do we know that for a fact? John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. God so loved the world. All of those cities that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Sometime I encourage you, write this down if you're a note taker. Read 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. Because there might be somebody in the United States, somebody in Colorado County, somebody at work, somebody at school, and you'd say, I know God doesn't care about them. But when you read 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, here's what it says about the Lord. It says, he desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 3.9 tells us, what is God hoping and wishing? What does he want? What is his will? Well, 2 Peter 3.9 says, he's not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance. So my question is, did the Lord hate Jerusalem? No, he didn't. No, his desire is described in the last part of verse 37. Look at the last part of verse 37. What did Jesus say about it? He said, how often, how often, that means more than once, right? How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. That's God's aspiration. That's God's will. That's God's plan. That's what he wants. But of course, it doesn't always happen, but it's what he wants. You know, the master teacher used a simile to illustrate what he was talking about by using that little word as, as. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen? gathers her brood under her wings. You know, in Deuteronomy 32, 11, it shows the eagle would sometimes protect its eaglets by covering them with the wing. The Lord is actually described in Ruth chapter 2 and verse 12 and Psalm 91 verse 4. The Lord is described as covering his people with his wings. Now, I know that some may be thinking, wait a minute, now I've heard of a mama bear but a mama hen? <laughs> Get real. I mean, this isn't something that's really tough, right? A mother hen. So maybe you were thinking that Jesus is sort of, I don't know, throwing out a weak analogy by saying, I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers a, her brood, her brood, her chicks under her wings. So what I want to do, I want to show you a video clip. I think it'll be unforgettable for you of an example of the courage and the commitment of a mama chicken, a hen, when she's protecting her chicks from an eagle. So I want you to watch, it's only 40 seconds, watch this.
if she could talk, what would she say? Man, can you imagine? That is a mama hen right there for you. You know, you ought to turn to your wife and say, baby, I'm so glad you're protecting our young one. Anyway, I mean, just think about what this says. But we ought to have a burden for our city when we realize what God wants, okay? But here's the thing. I think the burden will be weighted, weighted, whenever you realize the hesitation of the city. The hesitation of the city, because Jesus tells them, hey, I'm willing, but he says, you weren't willing. I was willing. My arms were always wide open, but you were not willing. Remember Adam and Eve? They were given a command, and God said, you can eat of anything in the garden. There's only one tree I don't want you to eat from, just the one tree. But they were unwilling to listen to that one command. Matthew wrote of the unwillingness of a nice, moral young man. Some people call him the rich young ruler. But if you want to read about it, it's found in Matthew 19, 16 through 22. And Jesus wants him to come and follow him. Think of the honor to follow Christ. And yet it says he went away sorrowful because he had so many riches. Do you ever let riches and things interrupt you following Christ? That young man did. You know, Jesus was trying to prepare his disciples in Matthew 10, verses 11 through 15. He's trying to prepare his disciples before he sent them out on a mission trip. And you remember one of the things he said? He said, I know that not every city is going to receive you. And so he gave them special instructions. What do you do when a city rejects the gospel witness and says, I'm not interested? Do you know that Paul tried to share the gospel in key cities? Some were receptive and others were resistant. Do you remember the names of some of those cities that were resistant, just like Jerusalem? Here, Jesus said, you were not willing. What about when the apostle Paul was in Damascus and they had to lower him over the, over the city wall in a basket with a rope because they were going to kill him? So Damascus would be on that list. Antioch and Pisidia would be on that list. Iconium would be on that list. Lystra would be on that list. They stoned him in, in Lystra. Philippi, they put him in jail. Thessalonica, Ephesus, different places. It's like almost they would get into a riot because of Paul trying to tell them some good news. But my point is, that should really burden you. We shouldn't just walk away neutral whenever someone says, I'm not interested in the gospel. Whenever a gospel invitation is given and no one responds, whenever outreach events are held and no one comes and no one is saved, it ought to burden our hearts. And we ought to say, Lord, I pray that people would not be resistant or hesitant. I pray that people be receptive when they hear the good news. You see, the fourth part of a burden is unfolded in verse 38. Go back with me to Matthew 23 and verse 38. See, your house is left to you desolate. He knew what was coming. You see, there's always a, a serious consequence for people like the rich young ruler who say, you know what, I believe I'd rather have my riches than have the gospel. I'd rather have my possessions than follow Christ. There are always some very serious 
uh, consequences. That's why Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says, God's not mocked. Like, we don't just thumb our nose at God, whether it's a community, an individual, a family, or a country, or the world. Whenever people reject the Lord, there's serious things that happen. It unfolds very serious things. And when Jesus says, see, your house is left to you desolate, most Bible scholars say Jesus could look down into the future 40 years from there, four decades from then, and he saw that Jerusalem was going to be destroyed in A.D. 70 by the Roman legions. You know, that destruction of Jerusalem was one of the worst sieges in history. What's really amazing is once the Roman legions surrounded Jerusalem, someone came and told the commander, you won't believe this. And they said, what is it? And they said, they're fighting one another within the city of Jerusalem. And he said, well, let's hold off then. Let's let them destroy one another. They'll bleed off their soldiers and then we will attack. And so they fought within Jerusalem. Factions were fighting one another. They joined the Edomians. One group said, what we need are some of these people and they weren't loyal to Jerusalem or to Judah or Israel, whatever. So that added to the internal strife. As a matter of fact, some of them even said, I know what'll help us win this. Let's open the prisons. So they opened the prisons and thousands of former convicts ran free. And so they just started murdering and killing. And then finally the day came when they came to the commander of the Romans and they said, can we go now? And he said, well, I don't think it's time yet. And he said, no, you don't understand. They're starving to death in the Jerusalem because we've cut off the food supply. And he said, there, there's a famine in there? He said, yes. As a matter of fact, some are resorting even to cannibalism. And he said, you're kidding. He said, so many are weak and confused. And so the Roman general said, now's the time. So they pounced upon Jerusalem. And when the dust settled, 1.3 million Jews had been killed, slaughtered by the Romans. 97,000 were taken as slaves. Wow. And yet Jesus said, you know how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And he says, you were not willing. And so now he says in verse 38, see your house is left to you desolate. Wow. It's not the only time that Jesus gave a sober warning to some cities. If you were to look back in Matthew 11, verses 20 through 24, listen to Jesus as he spoke to three other cities and listen to what they had had. They had had miracles. Light had been given to these cities. In Matthew 11:20, he says, then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable, more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? Will you be brought down to Hades? For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you, 
that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. You see, what he's trying to warn them about is there are serious consequences for rejecting the only way of salvation that is found in Christ. You see, the fifth and the final thing that I think would develop a burden within us for a city is to think about not only that desolation, but to also think about the exaltation. The exaltation. So if, if a city or a nation or, or an individual says, I'm not coming to Christ, they think I'm done with it, but they're not done with it. Let me read to you verse 39. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You see, it's not over. Even if you die, you'll certainly know by that point it's not over. But you see, somewhere out there in the future, there's going to come a day when every knee and every tongue will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so I think that when Jesus says, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I think what he's describing is a burden, a burden for generations, a burden for generations that would miss out on his presence and miss out on his blessings. Think about all of the generations that have happened from that time until this time. Jewish people saying, I'm not interested in a Messiah named Jesus. You know, Matthew 21 verses 8 through 11 records when Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem. You remember? I mean, we're in chapter 23, but if you just rewind the tape back to chapter 21, oh, the crowds were so excited. Matthew 21, 8 through 11, they're, you know, cutting down palm branches and they're saying, hey, Hosanna is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And you know what one of the things they said? They said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It was a quotation from the Old Testament from Psalm 118, verse 26. It was a messianic prophecy that people are going to praise the Lord one way or the other someday. Paul wrote in Romans 11:26 that all Israel will be saved after the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. Zechariah, the prophet in the Old Testament, says in Zechariah 12:10, the inhabitants of Jerusalem will someday mourn for Jesus. They will weep bitterly. He goes on to say in chapter 13, verses 1 through 2, that in that day, in the future still, because we know the Jews haven't received Christ collectively as a, as a nation yet, but Zechariah 13, verses 1 through 2, predicts there's going to come a day when a fountain will be opened for the cleansing of Jerusalem. You know, I believe that we should have a burden for generations that may be lost between now and in that future time when every knee will bow, when every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Do you see the seriousness of verse 39? Let me read it to you in slow motion from the very first. For I tell you, you will not see me again. You will not see me again. Here's the thing. This was the last time Jesus stepped into the temple. And so when Jesus said, you will not see me again, do you know that was their last sermon to hear from him 
inside the temple. Oh, he preached still. And we're going to see it as we keep going through Matthew. But he's, he would preach, he would speak, he would train his disciples from that point on. But as far as being in the temple, that was it. It was the last message. I just want to remind you that there will come a day when you will hear your last sermon. Somebody, a friend, a family member, will share the gospel with you the last time. And the Lord may be saying, you will not see me again until I come. You know, there was a, a young man named Josiah. He was the king of Judah. He was only 26 years of age. The high priest named Hilkiah found something that had been lost in Jerusalem. You know what he found? The high priest found the Bible. Isn't that amazing? That even in a church, sometimes the Bible can be lost. In the temple, the Bible had been lost. But he found it. And when he brought it to this 26-year-old king, Josiah, the king said, read it to me. I want to hear what it says. And when, when the high priest read to the king the scriptures, it says that he tore his, his garment. He began to repent. He began to cry and weep over Jerusalem, over Judah, because they had neglected the word for so long. And here's what it says. God says to Josiah, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and its inhabitant. Where was that? Oh, that was Jerusalem. Same city. And you have humbled yourself before me and have torn your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, declares the Lord. God heard Josiah's heart. In the very next verse, God said, you know what? I'm not going to destroy Jerusalem. I'm not going to destroy Jerusalem. Josiah, you will lay down in peace, and you will die in peace, and you will not see Jerusalem fall in your day. So God heard what he said. The apostle Paul had such a burden in his day for his people. Do we have a burden for our grandkids, our neighbors, our coworkers, people that are at school with us? You know, Paul said in Romans 9, 1 through 3, he said, you know, I've got such a prayer burden. He said, it's like a great sorrow. It's like an unceasing anguish that's down deep in my heart. And he said, it's to the point where I'm, I'm ready to switch my eternal destiny. If God would just hear my prayer, wouldn't that be just like Christ? That Christ said, I will die so that they can live. You know, I know that the coronavirus has been a very difficult time for all of us. But you know what? I believe that somehow, even though outreach is challenging, we need to find a way. A phone, a text, an email, a website. We need to find a way that we can love people, drop off food, that we can lead people to say, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Find a way that's safe and that doesn't put their health in jeopardy. You know, in Romans 10, 1 through 3, Paul gives us a clue where to start if we're spiritually numb. You know, maybe it's like, I, I didn't even know anything about this until this moment. But Paul says, you know what? You begin with prayer. You start by asking God to save the people that you know. Who do you know? Who's in your concentric circles as they go out? Who's in your family? Who's in your workplace, who's on your street, who's in our city, our community. We must realize that 
Although they may be good people morally, spiritually, they're dead. Spiritually, they're helpless without Christ. They need the righteousness of Christ to cover their sins. You know, this text in Matthew 23, 37 to 39, you may be saying, why would you even preach this to us? Well, I'm praying that God would uncover some blind spots. Some blind spots. Have you ever been driving and you start to get over and all of a sudden you realize there's a car there. There's somebody there. I could have run them off the road. You know, in life, there are people to our right. There are people to our left. We cannot just totally say, I'm not going to do anything. We have to stay engaged with people. There are souls, lost souls all around us. Men at work and ladies that maybe you graduated from high school with. There's a girl that sits next to you at school. There's a boy on the same team. There's a neighbor that maybe you see him once or twice a week. You wave. There's a relative coming over for Thanksgiving or coming at Christmas. We have to say, Lord, help me to be aware. Help me be aware that they're there. Give me a burden for my city. Don't let me just go through life only concerned for myself. So I want us to have a time of invitation. And the invitation reminds us, come now fount of every blessing. We know, we know where it's found. So maybe if you know where it's found, you could pray for somebody during this time. Perhaps there's someone in here in this room and they are not ready to face eternity. They're sort of like the people in, uh, back in Jerusalem, but they live in Columbus, they live in Weimar, they live in Colorado County. Would you stand and let's respond how God would have us respond. Let me pray, and then our uh, singers and praise team will lead us in this closing hymn of invitation. Oh, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for showing us the heart of Jesus. Your heart went out to those people in Jerusalem. You wanted so badly for them to come to you for salvation. Lord, I believe your heart still is like that, and I believe your heart is for the people of Columbus and Colorado County, people in the state of Texas and South Texas and all around the world. And so God, help us to, to pray as though it matters, to pray with a deep concern, a deep compassion for those that are still not yet connected to you. So bless this time of invitation if there's anyone here that doesn't know you personally yet. I pray they wouldn't leave today with it like that. Help them respond to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.